Well, good morning, Gateway family. It is great to see you this morning as you come in and make your way to find a seat. Just want to welcome you and welcome those who are watching us online this morning. We're so grateful we get to gather together this morning to sing the Lord's praises, to study His Word together, to pray together, to enjoy the fellowship that fills this room. We're thankful for the the goodness of the Lord's plan for His church, and we're grateful to be together this morning. There's just several opportunities we want to make you aware of this morning as we begin this morning. Just these are invitations to you. We want you to connect in community. Church is more than just the hour of corporate worship on Sunday mornings. This is about community and sharing life together and having people who can speak truth into your life. We want to help you build deeper connections with one another. So there's a lot of things that go on in this all to help us deepen our relationships. One thing coming up we want to make you aware of is we're going to bring back Gateway's Talent Show called Gateway's Got Talent. And so it's not till a month from now. That's not till April 5. It'll be that Friday, April 5 at 6 p.m. You're all welcome. But the reason we need to mention it today is auditions are tomorrow. And so if you would like to participate, you need to contact Haley Falcioni. The information is on the church website at gatewaybaptist.com under news and events and email her to come do an audition. Now, there's an important thing she wanted me to let you know. This is not just for kids. So adults, we need you to participate too. So this is not just, yes, we have lots of kids. It's going to be fun with the kids, but we want adults to participate also. And so adults, think about what you might enjoy doing. Visit the website to learn more about that. Now we have two special opportunities that we want to invite some people to come tell you about. Where's Alicia? Alicia Johnson to come tell you about for a special opportunity for the ladies. And after that, Seth's going to come tell you about a need at Capitol Heights Middle School. Thank you. All right. I'm very excited about this, but we'll try to be brief. So my question is, how many of you love God's word or you want to love God's word, but you struggle to protect time or have the energy to dig in deeply? Okay, so what about prayer? Do you recognize a need for prayer, but you're frequently distracted or disengaged when it comes time to actually talk to God? Like, that's me too, right? So you're not alone. Your struggle is common to man. And on Friday, April 12th, I'm inviting women who um, want to come to a quiet retreat at Shaco Springs to stop your usual rhythm, to listen to the Lord through his word and prayer, And then we're going to encourage one another at the end just to follow as God is leading you. And so this will be um, just a one-night retreat. We are planning to leave Friday around 2 o'clock, drive up to Shaco Springs, which is in Talladega. Um, You'll stay in a room by yourself because the goal is to be quiet and alone with the Lord. And then um, your meals are provided. And then Saturday morning... Around 10 a.m., we'll get together and just share however God has led. We will break our silence with praise and prayer and um, encouragement. And then we should be back home by about 3 o'clock after lunch on Saturday. So it's just about 24 hours of getaway. Um, So hopefully that's not too intimidating. So I would invite you to check out the Gateway website. Um, The cost is $50, and that includes your room and the three meals and we do have scholarships available, um, and I think we're about at half. We have capacity for 20 women, so we're about half there right now. So if you're thinking about it, go ahead and sign up or let me know if you have any questions. And that is all. 
Thanks, and ladies, we want to encourage you to do that. If there's, you want more information, it's on the website, gatewaybaptist.com, under news and events. Seth is going to come and tell you about an opportunity and immediate need at Capitol Heights Middle School, where we partner there for outreach. Hey, thanks, Grady. Well, good morning, y'all. Yeah, so you guys are very familiar. We have the Hopes Ministry over at Capitol Heights Middle School. Um, we do Bible study Tuesday mornings, but the thing we start in the past couple years is a tutoring program on Thursday afternoon. So every Thursday... our team of volunteers picks up a group of 10 students from the school and brings them over to First Presbyterian Church, who we've partnered with, and uh, we tutor with them from 2.30 to about 5, and then we have a meal. And so you guys are familiar with that. Gateway has supported that incredibly well by providing food and prayer and support, and we are just so incredibly grateful for that. But we have a new opportunity to partner with Brantwood Children's Home. They have a couple students who go to Capitol Heights Middle School. And for those of you who aren't familiar, this is, these are true orphans. They have been abandoned by their families through a lot of different circumstances. They live at Brantwood, and we have an opportunity to hopefully add a couple of their students to our tutoring program, but we need help. We need more volunteers um, to come and be with our tutoring program on Thursdays from 2.30 to 5. And you don't All you have to know how to do is read and love kids with the love of Christ. We have somebody that handles math. I know math is always really intimidating for me too, but we just need you to come. We just need people there to sit with our students and to read with them and to help them along their way and um, and to share the love of, of God with them. And that's a verse I wanted to share is Matthew 9, 36. When he saw Jesus, he's going around ministering. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And that's what I've been doing. And so I want to put this opportunity before you. Uh, My email address is up there on the screen and my cell phone number. There's my cell phone number as well. So please call, text, email. If you have any desire, I know it's hard. Like, The work itself is not hard, but I know it's going to be very sacrificial to get there and to do that. But if there's anything stirring in you, please reach out to me, and we'll see if we can help set up childcare. We'll see if we can do whatever it takes to get you on mission in your own city to children who are literally going to hell if they do not hear the gospel and receive the love of Christ. So please, please. If, if you would, come join us in this mission to make Jesus Christ known to some of the poorest kids in our city. And uh, come join us in that. We've just been praying for that and would love for you to come do that with us. I also do a, an email update about once a month or so. So if you just want to get emails to hear what's going on, email me at that email address and I'll put you on that list and you'll receive those as well. But thank you so much for the way you support us and the way you pray for us. And I just wanted to put that before you. Thank you. Thanks, Seth. We're grateful for your leadership in taking the gospel to Capitol Heights Middle School and meeting those needs. Now, two other things, just real briefly. We're already into March. Can you believe it? That means Easter's four weeks from today. We are one month from Easter Sunday, and so that means lots is coming up between a Good Friday service, that Friday night, a community sunrise service we've done for many years with two other churches in town, and Easter Sunday services here. You can find the details and all that on the website at gatewaybaptist.com. You'll see a big banner at the top of Easter Week activities, and all the information is there so you can make plans. And one last thing to mention, I mentioned it last week. We mentioned last week that because of the growth of our kids' ministry and the challenge of that, we're recommending to you as the elder team that we hire a preschool director to work alongside Molly, our children's director. We told you last week that our recommendation is Kayla Watley for that position. So just want to remind our members that next Sunday we will have a ballot vote on the call for Kayla Watley to fill the new position 
of preschool directors. So when you arrive on campus next week for our members, you'll get a ballot. They'll be all over the campus. You'll drop it in the ballot boxes before you leave. If you have any questions on that new position, please come see myself or any of the elders this week. Now, as we prepare to sing to the Lord and worship the Lord, can I ask you to stand, please? It's going to read to us from Psalm 73, one of my perhaps favorite psalms in all the psalms. Psalm 73, this is what Asaph says. It says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Father, we confess that as we say words like that, it's a lot easier to say that than to live that, to say that there's nothing on earth we desire besides you. Father, you know the things in our heart that distract us this morning. You know the idols that we cling to so quickly. And so we ask this morning, Lord, as we gather together in your presence, that, Lord, that we would be able to, by the work of your Holy Spirit, be able to say this morning, there's nothing we really desire besides you. That we would be able to say that, God, you are the strength of our heart and our portion forever. Lord, we cannot manufacture those desires, but you can. And so we ask humbly this morning as we sing to you, as we pray, as we study your word, as we celebrate a baptism this morning, that you would so work in our hearts that these things of the world that so distract us would just fade away and we would get a glimpse of your greatness. We'd be reminded of your power and your sovereignty. And Lord, our hearts would be changed that we leave this place today having delighted in your presence. So have your work in us as only you can. We ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing to the Lord. Seems to hide his face. 
grateful that you've given us voices, that we can join the angels and those beings in heaven proclaiming that you are holy, holy, holy. Lord, I'm just reminded of something A.W. Tozer once wrote. He said in the modern church, he fears the sense of the holy is not upon the church. Lord, we confess in our own lives so often we go through our days not thinking about your great holiness, not living as though we're a blood-bought, redeemed people who you've called to be holy. So Lord, I pray what we've just sung would be the cry of our heart, that we would desire to worship you in all your holiness, and it would lead us to desire to live lives of holiness before you that can only come through the work of your Spirit in us. So we just give you the praise for the work you're doing, and we're thankful that we get to proclaim this morning, Lord, that you are holy, 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 the all-powerful, only true God. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. We get the joy of celebrating a baptism this morning. This is Benjamin Presley in the tank with his dad, Mike Presley, who many of you know very well. I'm going to read to you from Matthew 28 to explain what we're doing. Jesus has some final words here in the Great Commission, Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. A baptism is a believer's profession of faith. This is how they show others that I am a follower of Christ now. As we've said often, there's nothing magical about the Montgomery City water that's in that tank right there. This is a symbol. This is a confession of faith. Walking an aisle is not a confession of faith. Baptism is a New Testament way that we confess our faith and trust in Christ. We do it the way we do it here because it's saying, I believe that Christ died on the cross for my sins. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose back to life. We also do this as a way to say God has changed me. His grace is pursuing me. My old way of life has died because of his grace. And he's raised me to walk in newness of life. And so, Benjamin, we're excited this morning to get to celebrate your baptism with you. And so we're going to start with your testimony. I think, Amy, your mom is going to share your story with the church this morning. Gosh, yes, that would be great if you would hold it. <laughs> so um, Benjamin wanted me to share. Um, he says, I've known about Jesus my whole life. I grew up going to church and learning the stories from the Bible. I knew a lot of things about Jesus, but I never knew him in my heart until last spring. In my sixth grade Sunday school class, we did a study on the book, What is the Gospel? Through the study, I realized my need for Christ is the only way to be restored to a right relationship with God. 
On the last week of it, we did a guided prayer time with an opportunity to repent of sins and confess belief in Christ as Savior and Lord. From then on, the Holy Spirit changed my life. That led me to realize some areas where I had fallen short and broken fellowship with God due to sin. I was brought to a place of confession and repentance. That conviction was due to the Holy Spirit. That helped me to know that I was saved and free from sin's control. Now I spend more time with God in prayer and in the word. I want to be baptized as a public proclamation of my faith so that my story might encourage others and help them be brought to a saving faith in Christ. One of my favorite verses is John 16, 33, where Jesus tells his disciples, I've said these things to you that in me you have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This verse is comforting to me because even though life is sometimes hard, I can rest that God is in control. And Let's give a round of applause. That's a great testimony, Benjamin. We are rejoicing at God's grace in your life. Now, I know you want to share a word of encouragement to him, maybe. Yes. So, Benjamin, it's just been such a blessing and an honor to be your mom, that God chose me to be your mom. Um, my heart is just bursting with joy this morning just to see you stand here in front of us, um, proclaiming your faith in Christ, um, testifying to the transforming work that he's doing in your life. Um, I don't know if you remember this story, um, but... I have a very clear memory of one day when you were about five years old, and we were driving home from kindergarten at Fraser after I picked you up, and your precious little voice in the back seat said, Mommy, guess what? Today I invited Jesus into my heart, and it was just so like, oh, that's just what we always pray for, you know? Um, it was just so wonderful to hear those words, but I know you were five, and so even if you didn't truly understand what it meant to have Jesus in your heart then, I know that he has been working in and through you this whole time. He's been drawing you to him. Um, and I've seen evidence of your faith through how you love and care for other people. You have such um, compassion, and you see people, and you encourage them. Um, you're such a wonderful friend. Um, you have a strong desire to know Christ more. Um, you've made reading your Bible, praying uh, such a priority. I mean, you know, every, every night, like, even if it's late, you're like, no, I have to do my, my Bible reading tonight. Um, and you have such a humble, gentle spirit, and you're so willing to listen and to learn. Um, you know, and that's just so important, um, to be willing to listen and learn from the Lord and from those that he puts in your path. Um, you've put your faith in Christ as your only hope and salvation, and I just pray as you go through life that God will continue to give you boldness to share how he's transformed your life with others even when it's hard. Um, it's just evident in your life now you know Jesus. You don't just know about him, but you know him. I know he's in your heart. You know he's in your heart and that he holds you tightly in his hands. Um, and I'm going to try to make this brief because I feel like I'm been talking too long, but, um, you know, in Ephesians 2, we talk about how we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. Um, you know, we previously lived according to the ways of the world, and we were effectively, by nature, children of wrath. Um, but in verse 4, it says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace, okay? And it's not anything that you did. You know, you're saved by grace through faith, and it's not from yourself. It's God's gift. So it's not from our work, so we can't boast. 
Um, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So I know you're sealed in Christ, Benjamin, and I'm just so excited to see how the Lord's going to continue to work in and through you. And so I love you. Thanks, Amy. That was a great word for you, Benjamin, to echo all those truths your mom shared. I know Mr. Brad wants to share some things with y'all say. Yep. We, um, we kind of known you uh, the whole time since y'all came to Gateway, and uh, we've lived a lot, of, a lot of life together through uh, trail life and uh, church and Sunday school teacher. And uh, we're excited to uh, see you take this step as a uh, brother in Christ. And you do uh, all things that strengthens uh, uh, you uh, with Christ and that he'll, uh, he'll uh, bless that and uh, you'll prosper in that. Thanks, Brad. Hey, Benjamin. Um, I just wanted to share this Bible verse with you. Um, David said in Psalm uh, 3, 5 through 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. I'm so glad you took this step to a public proclamation of faith, of your faith. Um, I'm so happy for you. And I'm pretty sure your mother is, too. (laughs) I pray that you'll um, continue to um, follow God with your faith and um, listen to him if he decides to speak to you. Some of the ways I see Christ in you are through the fruits of the Spirit, and some of those are you're slow to anger. Um, I haven't really seen you shout. <laughs> um, another way is you're patient. Like when someone's maybe a little bit slower than you or someone else, you never rush them. Um, you're also very kind to me and your other friends. Um, thank you for being my friend, Benjamin. That was a great word. I think your brother wants to share also, so I'll come around to that side for you. I also had a verse to share with you, Benjamin. It's Proverbs 3, 7 through 8, and it says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I pray you will learn to fear the Lord in all seasons of your life. Thanks. Good word for him. Hey, Benjamin, um, I've known you since first grade or kindergarten, and um, I just remember that day in, I think it was sixth grade, when you accepted Christ, and then you just completely changed. You've been so kind, and you've been patient, and you've just completely changed and been so rude in God's word. And I'd like to read you a verse from 2 Corinthians, it's 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The oldest passed away, and behold, the new has come. You've been such an amazing friend, so I can't wait to watch you grow. Hey, Benjamin, you've been a great friend, and I've seen Jesus in you. So I've got Ephesians 1, 15 through 18, and from 19. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him, having the eye of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches in his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might okay do one or two yeah um acts 
verse 38 says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Benjamin, I know this isn't easy, and I'm just really proud of you for standing up and um, saying, Christ is my Lord and Savior, and I'm just really proud of you. Anyone else want to share one or two others? Or? This is from your brother, Noah. He says, Benjamin, I love you. I'm glad you're being baptized. I'm thankful you're my brother because you're nice and you play with me and you love me. And he told me that Ephesians 4.32 reminds him of you. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Amen. Okay. We have one last one from Caden over here. Hey, Benjamin, I've just gotten to know you through um, our love of fantasy and, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, stuff like that. Um, and I just want to tell you, like, though you may never be on the battlefield with Aragorn, you know, storming the Black Gate, you will have battles in your life. And your sword is the Bible. And a verse I have for you is, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. The Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Remember that through the battles and slay every dragon that comes your way. <laughs> Thanks, Caden. All right. Well, Benjamin, I want to give one last word here before we turn it over to your dad. It's been a joy to get to know you over these years as our families have spent time together and just want to echo everything else that's been said. We see God's grace in your life. We've seen God's grace pursuing you. Throughout the years you've been here, we've seen the change that others have talked about, and we see the fruit of the Spirit at work in your life, what God has done. And so it's just been a joy to walk alongside you and your family and just seeing God's grace transforming you, working in your life. And we're just thankful to continue to see how it's going to continue, that he's not done with you yet, and look forward to seeing the path he has you on and what he's going to do. So we just rejoice in God's provision and giving salvation to you and growth in your life and look forward to the years to come. So we're going to turn it over to your dad to give a final challenge to you. here and trying to remember what I wanted to say to write a little letter to you. So I'm just going to read that and then have a couple questions for you. So, all right. It says, Dear Benjamin, it has been an awesome privilege to be your dad. We prayed so long and so hard to have a child, and God and his faithfulness and his timing brought us you. You have always had a kind and gentle yet adventurous spirit. You love trying new things and going on adventures. You always show great compassion and care for others. You also have a curious nature and love learning about new things and learning more about God. These are all gifts from God that I pray that you will continue to lean into as you go on your journey. And uh, I just put adults look to you more than you probably realize in classrooms because of these attributes. (laughs) So that's a good thing. And I'm especially proud of the journey that you've been on over the past year to make your faith in Christ your own. And we were so happy when you responded to the gospel message last year in our Sunday school class. So, and just to me, the fruit of your saving faith in Christ was never more evident than last fall when you were convicted of sin 
and you came to us not because of worldly sorrow, like you were going to get caught or consequences, but because of godly sorrow. You had realized through the Holy Spirit that you had broken your fellowship with God, and you wanted that restored. And I cannot emphasize how much that is not normal for a 12-year-old boy to do, and that is clear evidence of the Spirit in your life and your salvation. So, um, And through that experience, you were able to also experience God's restoring mercy and grace. And uh, so you have, as we've heard, so many people who love you and have invested in you. And I pray, I guess this is my challenge to everyone, that we continue to pray for and invest in not only Benjamin, but all the young people in our church uh, as they seek Christ on their own. And their pray you know, our prayers and involvement in your life and in everybody else's life matters. All right, so and as Caden said, you love adventure tales. And this is the greatest adventure that you can ever be on. This is not your story, but God's story of redeeming his people through Christ alone. And I wish I could tell you that it would always go smoothly, that you always find success and will be filled with happiness. But that's not always the case in this fallen and broken world. So just remember that God is good, God is in control, and that he uses the challenges of our life in this broken world to help us grow in our faith. So just always seek and trust him no matter what you face. So this baptism is not an end, but a beginning to your great journey, and you have always already made me and your mom so proud in so many ways, but we will never be prouder of you than we are right now because of what this baptism represents, the only thing that will last for eternity, your salvation through repentance of your sins and trust in Christ alone. So now I'm not only your earthly dad, but I get to be your eternal brother in Christ. So, you know, one day we will pass on from this world, and but our relationship in eternity will last forever, and that, that is deeply humbling, and just want you to know that I love you so much. So with that, I'll put this down, and I just have a couple of questions to ask you. So um, do you earn your salvation by your own efforts and merits, or is it through faith in Christ alone? Through faith in Christ alone. Okay. And do you repent of your sins and profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior of your life. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, let's turn around. Okay. So, Benjamin, based on your profession of faith, two steps more. Just want to be safe. All right. So, Benjamin, based on your profession of faith, I baptized you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. We rejoice with Benjamin that. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for the reminder we just saw in baptism of the gospel. The reminder of your grace that you did not treat us as our sins deserved. You didn't leave us lost in our sins, but you pursued us when we were not pursuing you. Lord, thank you for your grace that has saved us. Lord, we know that you don't just leave us where we are, that you have a plan to grow us in Christ's likeness. And so you don't leave us where we are, but you pursue us with your transforming grace. And Lord, we're so grateful for that. Lord, I pray that we would have an increasing hunger for your word, an increasing hunger as your people for prayer, an increasing hunger for community and fellowship because we know we need you and we need one another. So be growing us and sanctifying us and making us in the people that you desire for us to be. When we think about the work you're doing in our lives or we want to pray for other believers throughout this city, 
Lord, we pray this morning for Grace Presbyterian Church, our longtime friends there. And as their new pastor, Ryan Dole, has just started a few weeks ago, we pray for much grace as he gets to know that flock, as the people get to know him. This will be a smooth transition for them. Now we pray for Ryan and his family as he's going back and forth from Nashville to here until the family can finish out the school year and move to Montgomery. We pray for much grace and even traveling mercies in the back and forth, but you would just establish him as a faithful preacher of your word right here in this city. And we thank you for so many ministries in the city that are taking the gospel to those who need it. Lord, we thank you for what Seth's already shared and just the work you're doing at Capitol Heights Middle School. And Lord, we do pray that you would provide the laborers needed to not only meet the physical needs of those students, the academic needs of those students, but the spiritual needs to know you and to see you in all your greatness. So we pray you'll bless that ministry and continue to give wisdom to Seth and the leaders as they take the gospel into such a needy and dark place. We're thankful as well for the work of Fisher's Farm and just what goes on there for Jeff and Timmy and the many others who serve there and work there. We're so grateful for all they do to take the gospel into these men's lives. And Lord, it's such a joy to see the gospel transforming the lives of these brothers, to see them finding hope in you. And we pray that work you've begun in each of their lives would continue and just increase and abound more and more. That they would find the freedom that they can only be found in Christ. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in this church, and we pray that you give much wisdom to the leaders of the church, give much wisdom to all the small group leaders to shepherd the people in their groups well. Lord, we desperately need you for everything, and pray that you'll continue to guide and direct us. Lord, we're thankful that we have the opportunity to study your word together this morning. Lord, I'm thankful for my friend and fellow pastor, CJ, and Lord, just for the for the work he does here in this body to shepherd and love people so well. We ask your blessings upon him as he opens your words. We continue our journey through Genesis this morning. I pray that your word would be alive to us. It would pierce into our hearts and to convict us where we need conviction, to give us encouragement where we need encouragement. So we ask that you would bless him as he teaches us your word this morning and give us ears to hear. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, first to fourth graders, you are dismissed to kids of worship. If you'd like to go to that, first to fourth graders, dismissed to kids of worship.
walking in the garden and what I believe in we've taught this from here is a theophany this pre-incarnate Christ showing up in the garden intimately to come to them in the moment of their sin as they're hiding and then obviously providing for them garments he made skins for them um, clothing so he brought provision and then obviously as they were cast out that obviously they would have seen and you would have think Grady brought this up that they would have been able to see the cherubim with the flaming sword at the entrance of the garden. I mean, it just would seem logical. They're living in that area. They've been cast out of the garden itself, but they were still living in that land in the area around Eden. So that would have shaped these young men, okay, of understanding that they have a creator, that they've been living in this context, the context of sin and so forth. So again, we don't know how old they were, and I also want to bring up, because this applies, that we do not know how many other brothers or sisters are on the earth at the time. In Genesis 5-4, he's going to cover this soon, it literally says Adam had other sons and daughters other than Seth. Okay, So there could have been other siblings. The scripture is silent about that. But with the reason I believe logically there is, we're going to look at a few texts later, um, that there probably were some other um, family on the earth at the time with them. So just very quickly, a couple weeks ago, to set the tone, uh, verses 1 through 5 showed the relationship between Cain and Abel as it was revealed through their offerings of worship. Okay, Cain brought fruit of the ground. Abel brought the firstborn of his flock, the fat portions, which was his best. And we know from a couple of weeks ago that God regarded or accepted Abel's offering, but not Cain's. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. So Abel offered his, his best, the fat portions, and his, the um, best of his flock, the firstborn, by faith in righteousness. And in 1 John 3.12, it literally mentions Cain's deeds were evil. So right here we see a contrast. What God is revealing through this relationship between these brothers is the condition of their hearts. They're the earliest examples, and Grady brought this up, of us literally seeing a man of faith and a man who lacks faith, a believer and an unbeliever, a person who operates in righteousness and one who operates in sin and evil. And that's the beginning of the humanity as we see how it's going to play out through the rest of time. So that's what we were looking at a couple weeks ago. And then last week, Grady brought up how Cain responded in anger 
in pride and jealousy with the fact that Abel's offering was received and gain, uh, God did not receive Cain's offering. So his response was anger. And we saw how God came to Cain and the response in his moment. And I, here's where we're going to start seeing, guys. The, um, the attributes and the virtues and the uh, nature of God. That the Lord approached Cain. He could have come with his wrath. Couldn't he? I mean, he could have come and saw this sinfulness in his heart and said, how dare you? Here's the consequence. All that kind of thing. And what did he do? He came as a loving father. we got to see ourselves here. And he asked questions. He came in, in a question mode like a parent to a child where he saw this sinful behavior and he was trying to get to the heart of the matter. And he said, why are you angry? And in the midst of that, he even provided an awareness and a warning about his sinful heart. As Grady said, he brought an awareness saying sin, the first time the word was ever mentioned in scripture, sin is like a predatory animal waiting outside the door, crouching at the door, ready to attack you and pounce on you. Okay, and that was the context of what he was trying to communicate. And Cain did not respond. No response whatsoever. And so we look today at his response and how he was going to um, respond and to manifest and express his anger in the most darkest event at this time in the history of the world in establishing sin amongst humanity in this way. So as I'm going to ask you to stand, that was the intro to prepare our hearts to receive and see what the Lord has for us today. Reading from Genesis 4, we're looking at verses 8 through 16, and I'm reading from the New American Standard this morning. Cain told his Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, verse 15, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, so that no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Lord, we ask for your guidance, your wisdom. May your spirit come to bring conviction, as Grady prayed earlier. God, speak through me with looking at the time. And just, Lord, we want whatever you desire to be spoken today to be said. By your spirit to lead and guide us through your word. For you to touch our hearts, speak to our hearts, convict our hearts according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So right out of the gate, we're looking at verse 8. Cain told his brother Abel, some translations say literally Cain talked to his brother to come to the field in some translations. But obviously what this was referring to is Cain lured him into the field and Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. So Cain committed premeditated murder. Okay? He plotted and lured his brother to his death. One of the theologians I read this week, Waltke, said Cain's anger was against God. And it spilled over into an irrational behavior and an unjustifiable, jealous rage against his brother. I want to set that tone first. Cain's anger was not toward Abel. Cain's offense and his anger was toward God for not receiving his offering, for not giving regard to it or accepting it. Now, there was jealousy. There was still sin in his heart for Abel, but that was jealousy. 
But the root sin was toward God, not Abel. And obviously Cain couldn't have killed God. He understood that aspect. He's God. So there was only one way to express and manifest that anger and respond to it was by giving into that in his jealous rage to kill his brother. Bonhoeffer says this about it. He said, Cain murdered Abel out of hatred toward God. And murder is hatred toward God for accepting another who offends us or troubles us or one who is favored with gifts and honors that we don't have or stands in our way. And so this is what we see play out. And it got, it's a great reminder. It's the exact same thing that happened with David, was it not? David saw Bathsheba. In his heart there was lust, covetousness, jealousy, because he could not have Bathsheba. And why? Because God forbid and restricted David to have her because she was married. So a law was in place, a principle, a truth was in place. And so David's offense, when he sent Uriah to the front lines for battle, premeditated, he literally sent Uriah to his death because he responded out of a sin of lust, covetousness, and jealousy, and ended up murdering Uriah for the sake of having Bathsheba. Exact same motive. Cain did the same thing. But what I love about, and we see about the, how many of us say praise God for David, right? And praise God for Peter. <laughs> you know, things we can see in Scripture but recognize we're no different. But the difference here is David was what? In 1 Samuel 13, 14, it says David was a man after what? God's own heart. Why? Because he was a man who was broken and repentant. That was the difference of him and Cain. In Psalm 51, 4, David cried out and said, God against you and you alone have I sinned. His offense was against God, not against Uriah. Raya was just a recipient like Abel was of the darkness of his heart. But the beauty of David was he repented. He was broken. He cried out to God for mercy. Now, was there still a consequence to his sin? Yes, he lost his son. I'm, I'm going to put that out there. Sin always, 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 always has a consequence. doesn't matter what you do even now as believers. There will always be a consequence to your sin. Okay. And obviously David experienced that. But the Lord blessed him from that on because he was a repentant man. We did not see that with Cain. So here, what was God's response to Cain's murdering Abel? Look at verses 9 and 10. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Again, Part two, second aspect of approaching Cain and his sin. God could have brought his wrath. God could have come and said, how dare you? And just laid into him. But what does he do? Cares about the heart. He asks more questions. Where's Abel, your brother? What have you done? Now, obviously, did God know all the answers? Of course he does. God is all-knowing. So that gets to, again, seeing the heart of God toward man toward this person he created in his image to get to his heart condition for he wanted Cain to acknowledge and own up to his sin, to give him another opportunity to respond in humility and repentance, just like we do with our own kids. I've done that for years with mine, and hopefully we all have. That instead of coming in accusing and bringing the wrath, that we set them down in certain situations and we ask questions to what? Get to the heart. And we want God to work there for the Holy Spirit to go to work. So God didn't do that. We get to see a glimpse into the beauty of God's nature and his attributes here. And so here, what was Cain's response? He lied. <laughs> Not only did he commit murder, but he was so calloused, his heart was so hardened and in deception that he was blind to the fact, number one, that God would know everything. That wasn't even on his radar. 
This is God. He made me in my mother's womb. He did all of this around creation, and I'm not even going to register or think that God already knows that I killed my brother. Wasn't even there. In his deception, he not only lied, but then how did he respond again? In sarcasm and mockery. And again, I'm, bringing, I'm just hoping we hear and see us as man, where we are in this scenario. So Cain was literally blind to the truth and bound in his own selfish world. He was on his own little sinful world and could not see beyond it. Grady and I had a conversation this week, and it came up as I was reading more of this, because we just hone in a lot on just Cain and his sin and the fleshliness of that, but this is so much bigger. And, and this is where I see that. In the blindness of his deception, there's more to this than just his sinfulness. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose God, the God of this world, who is that? Satan. The God of this world is Satan. He has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan was still active right out of creation, guys, right? He first deceived Eve, got that they sinned, doesn't mean he's done or taking some time off, as we're about to see. Look at 1 John 3, 7 through 12. These are a few more, a little more verses, but I want us all to see this, this contrast, this dynamic of sinfulness and righteousness. This is John speaking. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. Key word there is practice, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. Keyword practice. For the devil has sinned from the beginning, meaning creation, from the very beginning, even before. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. Who's the Son of God? Jesus. Jesus. His purpose, one of, one of many for coming, to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Ding, ding, hold on, hold in there. Y'all see the difference? There's only two children. There's only two paths. It's either a child of God or a child of the devil. If you're in this room right now and you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus as Ben has, and you are not walking with the Lord and you have not repented of your sin, you are a child of the devil. Okay, guys, we're not here. To, this is life and death. We're talking eternity here. You're either a child of God or a child of the devil. And I say this with love, compassion, and grace, saying, take heed this morning. If you don't believe in the God we're preaching about, ask him to show up and reveal himself this morning, as Ben did. Guys, you're a, children of, a child of God or a child of the devil. Now look how this plays out. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Remember that. Next. By this, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Now watch this. So John takes, we should love our brother and love one another and look what it transitions into. But not as Cain, who was what? Of the evil one. So if he's of the evil one, he's a child of who? The devil. Okay? Child of the devil. He's one who slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. So I wanted to lay this foundation again going. There's much more to this than just Cain having a sinful nature. 
there was another one involved. And why is this so significant? Because this is revealing from right out of creation, spiritual warfare 24-7 from the beginning. There was a war to be had. Okay? This reveals the work of the enemy immediately after the garden where he is not stopping. And as great as I were talking about this, it all started here, Genesis 3.15. He talked about this a few weeks ago. This is the first gospel verse, the first kingdom verse. God is cursing Satan and he is declaring this to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Did y'all see that? Satan has a seed, which means he has spiritual offspring. Okay? And we just heard about one. He, the child of the devil, of the evil one, was Cain. Cain was a spiritual offspring, a seed of Satan. So between your seed and her seed, he, the seed of the woman, shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. From this declaration made by God, Satan was on a mission to destroy or to corrupt the seed of that woman. Because he knew if he didn't, or if something were to take place, he's what? His head is crushed. Okay? And I believe this, we see this a scripture that can back this up. As we were talking about this, we were, Grady and I were just, it's kind of like, just came to us like, this moment, Cain killing Abel, I mean, it's not a long leap, it's not heretical, it's to say, this seemed like the first spiritual hit, like a takeout. Like Satan went, Abel, righteous received the offering. God received it. He's a righteous man. And all, the, and all of a sudden, Satan could be thinking, well, he didn't know how long in history the seed was going to come. He didn't know this individual, when or where, or if it was coming through a righteous man like Abel. So God easily, in, in Satan's mind, could have said, oh, Abel's the one. He's the righteous one. I'm receiving his offering. Therefore, the seed could come from him. And Satan went, nope, this is the first one. I'm going to cut it off right here from the beginning. Look at John 8, 44. Look what Jesus says. Jesus is speaking to the unbelieving Jews, which we could say are child, children of the devil, according to this. Look at verse. You are of your father, the devil. There's that preposition again. Of the devil, meaning you're of him, you're from him, out of him. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie... He speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So he's even speaking to these Jews. Now he said, a murderer from the beginning. How could Satan be a murderer? Now anytime you see from the beginning like that in the New Testament, it's referencing back at creation or the early times right after that. Some speculate through commentaries I've read, think that it's because um, Adam and Eve, like their spiritual life was killed by, the, by Satan through sin. I don't lean that way. I mean, you kind of go there. But to me, it's obvious, and what others have said, it's this event. This context is saying Satan murdered from the beginning, that he was involved, he was like the mastermind behind this offense, that Cain being his spiritual offspring, his seed, this enmity between Abel and him, the enemy used this moment to possibly destroy or corrupt the seed, and Cain was a tool as his offspring or seed to make this happen. And again, guys, desires of the, of the father in John 8, he talked about the desires of the enemy is deception, to kill, to steal, to destroy. Everything that Cain did, that's how he operated. And guys, we've seen this throughout the Old Testament, but two of the big ones was, I mean, Moses. Moses was a prophetically declared a savior coming to set his people free. And then what does Pharaoh do? Kills all the children from a certain age under. 
We see it with Herod. Herod hears the prophecy. Messiah is coming. Christ is coming. And what does the enemy ploy to do? Destroy these children from two and under. Multiple events where we can see this type of mindset of the enemy working out through history. So again here we see, I believe, that this is obviously Cain's response in his flesh, in his sinfulness, but also the enemy is involved and Cain is being used as a tool and like a puppet in a sense for, for Satan's bidding. So how does Cain respond to God's questions? Again, he does not repent. In John 3.12, again, he says he was murdered because Abel, because Cain's deeds were evil. He lacked faith. Grady called him the first unbeliever. And it is just sad to think, the first human. You can almost say, but God formed this boy in the womb of Eve. And the firstborn to come out in human form like that from the womb turns out to be evil in the sight of his creator. Instead of loving, honoring, and serve him, it just shows the power of sin in the heart of man. So look here at verse 11 and 12, Cain's response. And then what God says, there was no response from Cain. So God says, now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. So God's judgment is he's cursed. And guys, the only two entities at this point ever to be cursed, I mean, specifically, they are cursed with Satan and Cain. Again, same seed. They were both cursed. Adam's consequence was that God cursed the ground itself. But in this context, Cain was actually cursed. And because God honed in on the actual identity, his livelihood, his trade, God's focused in on that, saying the ground itself will be cursed, and you will never yield a crop. You will never see fruit as you work the ground. The ground is dead to you now. The stained blood of your brother is on the very ground you toiled, and now it will no longer bear fruit for you. Because your brother's voice is crying out to me as a witness, almost in a vengeful way to avenge me for the death that you've committed. And again, in addition to that, he says you will be a vagrant, like a fugitive. You're going to be on the move. That literally means there will be no rest. You'll be a wanderer on the earth. And the saddest part, and the most impactful, is that you will be separated from intimacy and fellowship with God. Now, what did I just describe? An unbeliever. I mean, in the basic context, someone is separated from the intimacy and fellowship with God. A person does experience any peace, no rest, no contentment. Nothing will satisfy. You're like a spiritual wanderer, a seeker. And for those of you in here, whether you're a child, a teenager, an adult, if that's still where you are, man, my heart is to encourage you. You will not find peace, rest, contentment, satisfaction in this life in anything or no one other than Jesus. I mean, and this is an example. You won't. There's nothing. It's a, it's a false, it's a lie that you may be buying into. The enemy is trying to deceive you to let you think that you're good. I can find contentment and peace in so many other things that I don't need to acknowledge him in my life. Isn't it amazing that Cain had a conversation with the God of the universe and still had no love or loyalty or devotion to him? That should scare us to death. That's why I love every week when we do communion. He says, God, we got to examine ourselves. we got to make sure we know that we know that we, our heart's in the right place. Amen. That we love God and we are loyal to him and devoted to him for the right, that we truly know him. Not of him, but know him. That's why I love what Ben said in his testimony. It went from here to here. 
And that's a scary thought that literally Cain has a conversation with his creator and he's still rejecting him and was mocking him and using sarcasm and would not listen. So Cain's response is a complaint. Verse 13 and 14. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment's too great to bear. Behold, you've driven me away this day from the ground. From your face I will be hidden. I will be a vagrant, a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Instead of, again, God giving another opportunity after the consequence, he still doesn't repent. He still could have come back in humility and go, oh God, please don't do this to me. I am sorry. I repent. I was wrong. There's still going to be consequences. But instead of repentance and humility, he complains. He is wrapped in his self-pity, self-centeredness, self-preservation, which is everything of the flesh. He's not grieved for his sin. He is grieved because he got caught, because of the consequences of his sin. Sound familiar? That's all of us. As believers, we struggle with that all the time. Lord, it's too much. How can you do this? I know my hand got caught in the cookie jar, but please relent. Don't do that. You know, instead of us truly at times coming broken, going, God, we need you. It is justified. So in this calloused, hardened state, he still couldn't even see the, consider the actions and the consequences that would come because of it. He doesn't fear God, but he does fear death. He said that. There's no fear of God, no reverence, no honor, nothing about his glory, but he fears physical and social exposure because he said people will come and try to find to kill me. And that's where by that statement gives us an inclination that there are other humans on the earth. Because if it was just he and Cain, hang, I mean, he and Abel and his parents, you know, he may have been thinking about the future, but I don't think it would have been that much of a big deal at the time. But to think that there's other family members who are going to know this took place, that I killed our brother or cousin or whatever at the time, is going to get vengeance upon me. So he feared death, that someone may come and fight to kill me. Now here's the biggie as we're bringing this down the home stretch. This is just unreal. In the midst of all of his sin, his hardness, his callousness, his sarcasm, his mockery, his lying, everything that would be justified, the amazing truth of this moment, is what would have God been justified to do to Cain? Kill him, right? Take his life. Your life is forfeit. But at this time, there was no verbal law or written law. There was a moral law that was, again, I've talked with Grady, that for 1,600 years... Between this moment and Noah was around 60, over, think about it, just under 2,000 years. Nothing written, nothing verbal. Mankind had the law in their hearts to know right and wrong. Obviously, the closer got to Noah, most of them did what? Wrong. <laughs> but there was still no one in his family were what? Righteous. Well, then if there was nothing written, how would they know to be righteous? It's what just God did. So in this moment, though, with the moral law we call common grace in the heart of man at this time, God still would have been fully justified to establish this and go, you, gave, you took this life, your life is forfeit. But what did God extend? Grace. This is unbelievable, you guys. God extends grace and mercy to Cain. Look at 15 and 16. So the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Guys, look at this. If anyone kills Cain, God said, vengeance will be taken upon that person. That means whoever did something to Cain, it would be deemed unjustified. Like he's not guilty. 
that God would have vengeance on the person that took out Cain. Y'all see the craziness of this? In man's eyes? But according to God, being a father of mercy and grace and establishing not only his holiness and his justice and his wrath, but his love, grace, and mercy for mankind. Should be jumping off the page at us. This is the God we serve. This is the God we know. This is the God we want to proclaim. This is the God we want to demonstrate to a lost and dying world. His heart of grace and mercy. And again, as far as the sign, the scripture obviously are unclear about what this mark was, this sign that was to protect him so others would see it and not be harming him. The scripture is unclear. Most scholars believe, which we can logically think, that it obviously had to be something visible, whether it be something on his face, a tattoo, some kind of mark. But even think about this supernaturally. God put this mark on him to protect him from others to kill him. But for the person, another person to see it, whether most of them his family, they would have to know and understand and have knowledge of what the mark meant. Right? Another act of supernatural, amazing wow that God had to do. When any of his family or people on earth saw the mark, they would in their mind register in the Holy Spirit how God worked went, don't touch him, off limits, God. You know, it's like that's the type of sign. It's just incredible. Or I will have vengeance upon you. And the mark showed multiple things. This is so neat just for us to think. That mark was a mark of grace. And grace is we get something we do not deserve. That's grace. We receive something we do not deserve. Like we did not deserve salvation. We did not deserve redemption. We did not deserve being restored to the Lord. But through Jesus Christ on the cross and salvation coming through his resurrection and ascension, God has granted us forgiveness of sin and eternity. We didn't deserve, so that's his grace. So for him, that mark of grace was he didn't deserve protection, but God marked him to provide that. And it was also a mark of mercy because he technically deserved what? Death. And, and mercy is where we don't get what we do deserve. Every one of us in this room, in our Adamic nature, before we came to faith in Christ, we all deserved separation from God and hell. Amen? Guys, we need to continue to remember that fact daily to understand God's grace and mercy and us to be able to cry out to God for gratefulness and loving that we deserve separation from the Lord because of our sin. But because of God's mercy, here is with Cain, he deserved death, but that mark saved him and gave him life as Jesus did for us. And lastly, you would just think it's a mark of shame because obviously if anybody saw that, if they didn't already have a supernatural knowledge of what it is, he would have to share what? The story. Why are you marked? If that ever was the case. But it's a shameful mark because the only reason he has it is because of the heinous evil act he did. Okay? But praise God, we have no shame. Amen? Amen. Jesus took it. All of it. We are, not, we are marked by his grace. We are marked by his mercy. But we are not marked with shame. So just that reality of how amazing this is that in this moment... Because of this sinful, most heinous act you can think of, Cain is cursed by God, separated from his presence, and yet protected by him. It's amazing to see what... So, last couple of things. Why does God preserve his, the life of Cain? We, scripture doesn't say specifically. But when we look at Scripture to interpret Scripture, we could come up with a few things just to give us a glimpse again into who God is and why he does certain things as we see all through Scripture. So obviously, number one... God preserved his life for his glory and his eternal purposes. We just trust God's providence. He had a reason. And primarily was for his glory, to reveal his nature, his attributes, his glory. Also, he is, that he is sovereign over life and death, that he's in control. 
Life and death are his choice in his hands. Also to show the power and the effect of sin on the heart of man. We see that with Cain and how he's going to continue to live his life. Grady's getting there over the next couple of weeks. The power and effect of sin. And obviously to reveal his attributes in responding to sin. That's what it was, how God responded to sin with his justice, his grace, his mercy in a fatherly way to get to the heart of his kids, his people. And lastly is what Grady's going to teach next week, that God still in his providence used Cain and his lineage to populate the earth and for his purposes on earth. There was natural things he used Cain to do on this earth for his long-term purposes. And that was a part of that. So this morning as we see this guy, just kind of to summarize our main ideas, we like to do, there's so much in this text. It is loaded. You can go so many different directions. But as I was praying and seeing some of this, it kind of all came into this context of how we see God respond. So the main idea is that how God responds to our sin as a righteous judge and father with patience, grace, and mercy. So we will repent and trust in him. He is a righteous judge, and at the exact same moment, a loving father who comes to us and wants us to repent and show love, grace, and mercy for us to recognize our sin and to respond accordingly. So again, for those in this room who have never placed your faith in Jesus, who have never done what Ben did, I am as a, just a human and also as a brother in the Lord who loves you, who desires for God to work in your heart, I'm pleading with you, come to Jesus. Why cannot today be your day of salvation? What you've experienced in this room, seeing the glory of God, seeing what Jesus has done through the work of the cross, through repentance and forgiveness, Ben's testimony, come talk to me, talk to Grady, who you came with. Talk to that individual who may be a follower. Talk to your parents' kids. Teenagers, talk to your parents'. We can't let a story like this to see God's glory revealed in his father's heart and what redemption does and forgiveness and love and grace and mercy without saying today could be the day. Nothing, none of us are guaranteed to leave here and get home. We've been talking about that with our teenagers a lot. There is no guarantee we're making it home today. And that's not to put fear in you. That's a reality. We need to live our lives with a sense of urgency and mission of what God has called us to do on this earth. To be salt and light, to represent him well. And for those of you that don't know the Lord, let today be the day. And for you precious brothers and sisters who are part of our family, as believers, guess what the Lord is asking you today? The same thing. Come to me. Come back to me. Continue to come to me. During this season of sanctification, you may be struggling with sins just like Cain. Remember Matthew 5? Jesus talked about murder. He said, you've heard it said, you know, that if you murder, you, but guess what? He said, if you are angry in your heart, you've what? committed murder we all struggle we're all came so jesus saying come back to me repent let me work in your hearts we're all broken we all need jesus we need a savior on a daily basis and we have an opportunity as we saw through this story today to recognize that god is gracious and merciful a loving father who wants to meet us in the darkness and bring us to the light every single day that's what he's called us to let's stand and i'll pray lord we thank you for your word Thank you, Lord, just for the powerful testimony of Benjamin, Lord, just seeing you work in his life. God, we thank you that we got to see in this story today just the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of your ways as a righteous judge, as a loving father who wants to have conversations with us to get to the heart of the matter, for us to communicate our need for you, acknowledge our need for you, acknowledge your glory and who you are, that we can only find 
I was reading Psalm 103 before I came in, Lord, that you, are, you pardon our iniquities. You heal our diseases. You rescue us from the pit. You crown us with loving kindness and compassion. And you satisfy us with good things. That's who you are. So I pray, Lord, right now that you bring conviction to the heart of those that don't know you. That you would make yourself known. Bring them to a place of repentance to respond to you in faith. And Lord, for all the rest of us here that are your sons and daughters, God, we ask to do the same thing. But that we would continue to repent and come to you with our sin, our darkness, our brokenness, and ask for help. God, we need you desperately. And then in turn, to go out into this world and represent you well, to live on mission, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to our homes, to our jobs, to our schools, to our social settings, that we can be... And, and be declared as Abel was a man or a woman who is righteous because of you, because of your righteousness, because of your sacrifice. We thank you that's who you are, and you want to love us that way and continue to draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.
so much for the words of these, this song that you are our amazing shepherd that you meet us in those dark places where we seem there's so much despair and pain and brokenness but God you come to us just as you did in the garden as a righteous judge as a loving father all the different attributes that you are all your character exhibits Lord we just praise you and thank you that you are our shepherd that comes to us that you at times have to throw us over your shoulder and carry us Thank you for that image. That is the love you have for us to restore us, to bring us back to reconciliation and restoration with the flock and with you, that you would come after the one to leave the 99. That's how much you love. That's how much grace you have and mercy you have. I pray that everyone in here experiences that today at different levels, wherever they are, whatever we're going through. And again, Lord, for those here that are struggling and seeking you, Lord. God, please just touch their hearts. Bring them to a place of repentance. Convict their hearts. Let them know how much you love them, how much you desire to know them, that you are coming to them just as the prodigal father. You're running to them. I want to meet with you. I want to know you. I want you to love me. I want to love you in return. I want you to experience the life that I have, the joy that I have. And God, I pray we take that to wherever you have us today and tomorrow those spheres of influence you've given us, Lord, that we would live our lives that way, that we would demonstrate you to a lost and dying world. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for loving us, for saving us, for leading us, for guiding us. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.